This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by Muck Delivery, bringing you the food you love. Muck Delivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with Muck Delivery. So, the only thing left to say is, you in? Order now on the McDonald's app and you can also get reward points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with three for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. Beyond the pitch, beyond the results, we're here to connect fans, getting them to embrace the highs and lows of supporting your club because we're not just fans, we're a team. With two in three football fans having struggled with their mental health, we understand that life off the pitch can present its own challenges. That's why we're committed to ensuring you have the tools to stay connected with your friends and fellow supporters. Take a moment to connect with your mates. A simple text or an open conversation can make a world of difference. And if they don't respond right away, don't hesitate to follow up. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Kreuzer, hello. Welcome to the latest episode of Rob Ryan Red, the Wrexham podcast brought to you in association with Red 10 People Development. Another week, another comeback win. The class of 92, they could learn a thing or two from us. Uh, It's a special edition of the podcast today as we bring you a bumper interview with former Wrexham forward Jake Hyde. So if you want to seek the answers of what's been happening to Wrexham, you'll have to wait for another week. We'll bring you a more analytical podcast in a week's time and we'll look back at what happened against Bradford this coming weekend. And of course, look ahead to some some bumper games as well on the horizon. Uh, But yeah, like I said, this week's podcast is a special very long interview with Jake Hyde. It covers all sorts of, of subjects. Also, I want to plug, you might be listening to this, there is a video version that Nafe has been slaving over to get onto YouTube. So if you could please uh, maybe check that out and watch that as well. If you want to see Nafe and Jake Hyde as they, as they speak for that interview, then that would be brilliant as well. Again, another shout out for his for us on YouTube, all the socials, Rob Ryan Red. Also, a shout out to Wrexham-based band Hypnotic, who provide the music for the podcast. They have a new song out that is called uh, that is called Smolder. Um, I know they want everyone to sort of have a listen to that. Let them know what what you think of the song as well. You can get in touch with them, the Hypnotic band. So yeah, let us know. The link to that is in the description as well. Uh, Naif, before we get into Jake Hyde, I guess quickly, not to go in too deep into it, but. The Salford win, classic Wrexham, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, very classic Wrexham. Um, word on Stephen Fletcher, you know, he's been a, a magnificent signing. Rob McIlhenny and Rob uh, and Ryan Reynolds both liking our tweet saying, you know, what a genius piece of business that was. Um, Jordan Davis as well, we were talking about him after that crew game. He's knocking on the door, he's knocking on the door. We're saying, could he play together? But could he replace Elliot Lee now? I mean, he's 
you know, made the impact. Sam Dolby, you know, that was a big uh, debate on our Twitter space afterwards, after the game. Um, you know, he, he did well. He, he oh, had yeah. both oh, him goals. an apology, because I think I slated right. him on last week's podcast. And, yeah, <laughs> but, fair play, he, he made a difference. But again, I think it takes me back to what I said, Nath, as well, to blow my own trumpet. Squad depth for us. There might be right. might be other teams in the league too who have better players, who are, maybe even have a better 11 to a degree, but there's no team who has a better squad than Wrexham. That, and for that's me, that, what, that that's proved... What, yeah. That's what Parky said, though. He said that it was really difficult. It was a really tough call to to leave Jake Bickerstaff out, you know, because he was, he's, by his words, the best player against Crew, and, you know, could have got on there. But just ultimately, Fletcher's going to get there every week and he has done since he's arrived. And Dolby just offers that bit of experience, even if he's out of form. And I know that's frustrating for people, but he delivered on Saturday. And just that image of Nicky Butt, Sort of slumped over the director's box in the in the in the Wrexham Lager stand. You know he's had a fair few Fergie time moments himself in Man United days, and so that one would have stung a little bit. But it's it wasn't pretty, and, and we'll get into that. And we'll see how we get on against Bradford and against Sutton before we record again. Um, I, I thought it was a step backwards defensively. You know we we were speaking about turned a corner and three clean sheets, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, I think and it's I, funny. Yeah, go on. I'm going to be controversially. I think we miss the vocality of of Bentoza and his leadership. I really think that you know. I think right now there's a reason maybe he's out of the team, and I think even for him, you know, he's had such a he's played every single sort of minute of every league game for two years, two and a half. You know, he's had a lot of stuff going on and off the pitch as well with his family. I think he just needs a break and a rest himself, just to you know reset back get back to square one but I personally do think we miss Bentoza's leadership and, and the way he sort of commands the, the back three but I guess long term we're gonna have to plan regardless because of his age without Bentoza and it's gonna be interesting to see what that back three is going forward well two points Jake Hyde is, that's coming up I mean he's brilliant on Bentoza came through um, in his youth days with Bentoza lots of stories about his great sense of humor his terrible fashion why he's you know a gem to have in the team really beyond his long throw and on the point about long term, I am led to believe that you know Wrexham are looking at defenders come January. So whether that is that just future proofing, looking at League One and, and above. So I mean we've got plenty of time to get into January and the matches and Wrexham. Welcome to Wrexham. The latest documentary episodes are out. Ben Foster's been involved. So all of that to come um, next week, I think, Rich. But you know, I guess without further ado, maybe I should tee up the Jake Hyde interview. That rhyme? Am I right? I'm just accidentally rhyming now. Poet, and I didn't know it. Just no, so Jake Hyde. Yeah, so Jake Hyde. Um, I've been trying to get on for a long, long time. Um, always got on very well with him, and he's been keen to do it. Just timing with he was at South End for a while, and still under contract with Wrexham, and then he was at Yeovil, and he wanted to get bedded in there. But out of the blue, one day he said, "Look, the time is now. It's uh, now's the right time to do it to speak about it." And we spoke about loads. So over the next ninety minutes or so, you'll get. Jake had talking about what it was like to play alongside Paul Mullin playing at Wembley. That offside goal that got clipped up um, with the owners celebrating. Um, he spoke about the dressing room after losing at Grim- losing to Grimsby. Leaving the club. Loads of stuff. Bento's a fashion sense. Who his favourite players were on a night out. Um, he's a brilliant laugh. He's a brilliant talker. And I was really lucky to, to get to chat to him. So without further ado, this is Rob Brown Red's interview. Exclusive interview with none other than Jake Hyde. Right, as we already will have said then in the intro, whatever week this comes out, it's been a long time coming. I've been trying to get him on probably since the day he left. 
Mr. Jake Hyde. Firstly, how are you doing, mate? Yeah, good. Thank you very much. Yeah, thanks. Sorry it's taking so long, but yeah, I'm very well, thank you. How are you? I'm good. We've, what I've realised is you're not the most tech-savvy person that Wrexham have ever employed. I'm terrible. Anything technology, terrible, mate. Terrible tech star, terrible on my laptop. Absolutely horrendous. Well, there we go. We're here. You're here now. We're going to have a chat. We're going to talk all things Wrexham, how the move came about, because Dean Keats, who we've had on the podcast before, he was very keen on you before um before we had the money to actually get it done um so you know there's lots to get into and we'll also talk a bit about south end and, and now you're at yeovil so there's plenty to get at um i guess firstly jake the move to Wrexham, how did it come about and, and were there any other competing offers at the time uh yeah it was a it was a funny one for me actually because i was at halifax um and i signed a two-year deal there so I'd had a relatively good year, so once that uh, once the season concluded, that out at Halifax, the uh, you have the, you have your end of season meetings with the manager. Um, I was very aware there'd been a couple of inquiries and a few borderline offers coming in, um, so I expressed to the manager that if there was an offer that obviously like floating my boat, I would I would like to leave, um, and he made it very clear at the start that I was absolutely not going anywhere. And I was a big part of their plans, and and that was that. Um, but as anything happens, as the as the summer sort of progresses, um, the offers come in, and the, the the sort of money they were expecting it to be. I mean, I was I was thirty at the time, so this was never going to be sort of big money for a, for a, for a sale. But yeah, as a, as they sort of progress, I then progress, and I think that me and the club come to an understanding that. If uh, if it got to a certain amount, then I'd be I'd be able to leave. Um, and the, the the teams that were in at the time that I knew of, uh, Southend had made a few offers. Uh, there was interest from teams like Hartlepool and Port Vale, and I believe Stockport at the time as well. But I, I again, I uh, I think there was only two clubs that had made like official offers. Um, and Southend were by far the front runners there. They were driving it all. They sort of made four or five, and uh, and they were very clear. I think it was the year they come down from the football league. So it was Phil Brown was the manager at the time, and he was he was desperate to sort of get it done because they wanted to bounce straight back up. Um, and as I say, there was a couple of others that had come in um, that you've briefly spoken to, but obviously you're limited when you're at a football club to speak to clubs. So um, so yeah, that's that's kind of how it would gone and. Um, and like I say, as the summer progressed, obviously Phil Parkinson then got the, the job at Wrexham. Um, and my agent called me one afternoon and I was expecting it to be about one of the three or four he'd mentioned. And he said, I've just had Phil Parkinson on the phone. Um, he wants a conversation, mate. And at the time, I didn't know where he was because Phil, Phil had literally just gone to the club. So I wasn't sure where he was. So I was like, oh yeah, I just played it aloof as if I definitely knew where it was and got Google afterwards. I was like, oh, he's just gone to Wrexham, okay, right, fine. And um, and he sort of, as the conversation went, he, he expressed the ambition of the football club, where they want to go, who'd taken over, what the, um, yeah, and what the plans were for the future. And I said, yeah, absolutely. Like, I, I, I definitely have a phone call and, and a conversation with him. Um, so obviously once my current club had given me permission to speak to them, uh, I spoke to I spoke to Phil and um, and to be honest, I couldn't believe what he was saying and the ambition of the football club and where they were going. It was it was surreal for me thinking about that and and like just little things that he was saying um, 
of where they want to be, where they want to go. And, and I was thinking, this is, this is going to be something special. This, this is going to be something different from your normal move where you either go to a better side in the same league or the league above. This is going to be, this is going to be fantastic. So I kind of, as all the players did that come in, sort of bought into that, what could be and, and, um, and the sort of journey the club was starting on. Um, and then, as I say, once I spoke to Phil, once he expressed, um, yeah, what he wanted from me and and um, and the part I was going to play, it was that I, I went back to Halifax and I said, I'm not going anywhere unless it's Rexham. And I think they had it done about five days later. So the other the other clubs at the time of summer, like, had been in for six, seven, eight weeks negotiating, negotiating, deals slapped back to. to and I think Rex had it done within about after speaking to him. I think they had it done within five days. So one of my questions is, what did Phil Parkinson sort of say your role would be? Because I think if we fast forward slightly, when it got to pre-season, we saw a lot of you and Paul playing together. And, you know, we both, myself and Rich on the podcast said, we think you're actually going to be the top scorer that season. Because we just thought the way Mullin was dropping back a lot more then and kind of facilitating the play. Were you kind of seen as the, as the co main event up top with, with Paul? Yeah, I think that was the plan. That definitely was the plan. It was definitely what I was made to believe. I think, um, I, as I say, I started, I, I signed for a fee and then Moles come in three days later, I believe. Like, don't get it twisted. What Moles did the season before, um, he was, he was definitely a big fit. Like he was coming in as, for sure, the, the talisman, the main man because of the season he had before. But, as a centre forward, you've got your own confidence, you've got your own sort of swagger about you and you've got your own beliefs that you can still be... I've never gone into a football team no matter what, what club it is in the world and thought, oh, do you know what, I might not be leaving goal school this year. I've always believed that's what I'm going to be. Um, but again, it was more than that for me. It was about being in a side that was moving one way and getting promoted in some way that I thought I could be for a long time. And, and that was building a relationship uh, as I say, Parky made it very obvious that he wanted a front two, um, that that was the way he was going to play, um, that he wanted two goal scorers, uh, and we both have different roles in the team. Um, so it wasn't sort of as a threat, it was more building a relationship. And to be honest, I was actually surprised playing with Miles how good a player he was, because I knew he was a goal scorer. But in the lower leagues we've seen over the years, usually what, I, what I've witnessed is Goal-scoring centre-forwards, like absolute goal-scoring centre-forwards, like Fox in the Boxes, usually that's their whole game. They haven't got too much else around the box. They haven't got, maybe, I don't know, they're not, they're not creative, they're not hard-working, they're literally just stay between the sticks to score goals, um, which is worth his weight in gold, by the way. But what I thought, because I believe that maybe Moles probably didn't start the season the player he is today. So, like... He had to do other things. So he was dropping short. He was creating chances. He was work- and I was like, no, this, this lad's a proper player. And, um, and obviously then he went to prove how, how good he is in front of goal. And I think he finished the leading goal scorer in the league that season. And, and then obviously last season, another incredible season and played a massive impact. So, but yeah, when he, when he first came in, the, the, the thing I remember is, I'll tell you what, I'm going to like playing with this lad because he's got that creative side. Um, and as, when I first came in, I thought it might, might be longing to me. I might be creating for him more. And it didn't seem to be that way. He would get on a half term, he'd look for the part and he and he was yeah, he was he was um he was better than I I remember thinking he would be. What were your early impressions of the football club? So you spoke to Phil, you know, you've come in, you, you decide you want to go to Wrexham. 
in the race course we've seen it now packed out since the takeover the fan base is is rabid really in in one sense got great local talent like jordan davis i mean did you yeah. look at it and think well we are going to have a real shot of going up here 100 percent. i remember the first day i come in um i met the manager and went down to the training ground with him uh, and this was the signing day so i'd been in the morning medical signs and everything else and then i jumped out i went down with the manager to the training ground um, and the boys were getting ready for training and the Geff, as I say, the Geffer at the time was, uh, he, we, when we pulled up, I remember getting out and, um, and the training facility was unbelievable. It's middle of pre-season, it's baking hot, the sprinklers are coming up, the boys playing at NB11, um, and I stood on the side and watched for about half an hour and I remember thinking, and, and I don't think we even had a full squad yet, but I remember thinking, this is a proper football club. This is a proper side. This is a proper football club. Um, and obviously, I'd seen the stadium before. I played at the race course, so I knew what it was it was capable of being. Um, and then from from the get go, from this very start of the season, I remember calling my old man and being like, "This is this is like no other football club I've played for before. This is this is when when we're at home, the fans will be out. There was a game really early in the season." Might have even been the second home game. Uh, we had a game on telly to Notts County. Um, and we ended up drawing 1-1. But I remember walking off the pitch that night. Going out to it. Oh, it was incredible. In front of the cameras. And but I remember walking off the pitch that night after it being a proper game and it was a proper battle and being like, that's the best game I've ever even witnessed at this level. Never mind played it. That is, hands down, the best game I've witnessed. Um, and both teams played fantastic football at the time. They're both moving the ball well both pressing the intensity of the game, as I say, under the lights of the race course. And I remember thinking, that's a, that's a proper game of football. I'm trying to remember if it was you, if I've misremembered this, somebody laid the ball off for James Jones who hammered it in. I, yeah, it was me. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, about five yards on side. I was going to say, I, mean, I, don't, I remember chatting to Humphrey and, and Rob McElhenney and he said that he'd celebrated that onset film in Sonny. Um, and, you know, they gave it as offside, which I'm, they gave you offside for, for laying it off to James and yeah 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 it was an unbelievable strike as well yeah nightmare but you, so you've, you've come in you've got the you know the early impression of the race course under the lights you're right it was on TV and, and then you get off the mark quite quick you get a brace down at Eastleigh you must yeah. have thought I'm because it, were injuries fairly common for you before you joined Wrexham or was it is, is this something you'd always battled with yeah it is something I've always battled with for sure but um the one I got at Wrexham that really sort of took the tail out my wings was a bit of a freak of nature. It was just a very unlucky, in my opinion, very unlucky. So, I mean, we had a fantastic, throughout that season, we were building a fantastic medical team. You couldn't ask for much more, especially at the level. Um, and the fitness coaches included everyone. So it was just a complete freak. But previously, I, I had to say I'd had a couple of injuries. I'd probably look at sort of, yeah, one or two injuries a season. But these could be three and four week injuries, do you know what I mean? Where they don't necessarily knock you back like too far. Um, the one thing I will say as well, the older you, I, I've got, I wouldn't say necessarily my performance has changed too much. I've never been blessed with unbelievable pace, but like, I wouldn't say my performance has changed too much, but I would say my, I, the thing I've noticed the most is the recovery. Mm. So it takes that little bit longer to just recover after games or um, different things like that. So, Maintaining your body becomes a big part of it. But yeah, I've, I've always struggled a little bit with injuries, but 
Nothing I haven't been able to handle, really, but yeah, just a couple of injuries a year, set you back, you get going again. Um, but the one at Wrexham, yeah, it was a really, it was kind of a freak, freak, it, uh, basically I tore uh, my tendon in my soleus. And you, if you tear a tendon in your hamstring, say, for example, they can operate on it, they can inject it, there's different options. But with your calf, what I was told was um, there's so little sort of research almost in it, where it's a smaller, smaller tendon, that they sort of think it's best just to heal. So it's a really frustrating one because there's not much you can do. It is just waiting for it to be right. So every sort of six weeks you get a rescan and you're hoping for good news, but until then you're doing nothing. Like you're on the bike, you're doing strength training, but you're not out with the lads, you're not on the pitch. And that's a really, really tough place to be when all you want to do is be on the pitch and play football. Yeah, I mean, mentally. It's because before that, you'd, like I say, you'd scored twice at Eastleigh. I think that was, we just got yeah. both update. Then you scored in the, defeat at Grimsby um, yeah. and that made the documentary in season one where Parky you know loses his head in the dressing room um so you'd, you'd started well you know, you'd start the yeah, season yeah, well. yeah, yeah. Um, yeah confidence has never been an issue for me <laughs> so so I'm, I'm as I say I think that when a football club comes in and buys you um, and they beat off other competition you go in feeling good you feel good about yourself I think that's a massive thing that was a that was a really big thing that they wanted me. They had all these options. They had, as well documented, they they had a, they had good money. They had good backers. Like they had all these options, and they wanted me. So that was a a really good feeling. So like you go into the changing room. I know a lot of the players from either playing against them or playing with them previously. Um, and yeah, and 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 the guy put a faith in me. He was I knew it was going to be me and Moles playing um, the majority of the time, unless you weren't performing, which uh, is the same at most clubs. So yeah, it was. It, I started well, but. I felt I felt that, that confidence sort of um, come from the top, and and at the time I was I was repaying that confidence. Looking at that group because it, it it's morphed and changed obviously as as we've got in up into League Two now. I'm looking at that group. It was starting that scene. You had Luke Young, who's still in there now. James Jones, who's still in there now. But you had others, kind of Jordan Davis, who I know you you got on well with at the time. Um, Dior Angus, who I know quite well. Um, Max Clue with Aaron Hayden. What did you make of those kind of characters and, and just the dressing room? The dressing room was really good overall. It was like very good overall, but I think I think it evolved really well because at the start, obviously, a lot of players were sort of brought into the squad and, and they'd all come from different teams, different formation, different types of styles of play and, and had their own outlook. But as the season went, we got stronger because we become more of a unit, we become more of a team. Um, the boys like, for example, you mentioned Jordan Davis there, uh, being a young lad coming through at Wrexham, I know he went to Brighton, but coming through at Wrexham, that's massive because he's playing in his hometown, all the backing he's got from everyone that's always known him from school and all that, that's fantastic. So to, to see him, and he was performing at such a level at the time that like, I, we, no one expected him to do that well that season in the fact that, not because he wasn't capable, he was more than capable, but scoring 20 goals from midfields some going as a established centre midfielder. So as a young lad doing that, that was fantastic. The boys that we consistently brought in were experienced, they proven, they done. So they come in and they all added to the team. Um, I think I have to say, Tozer I think was a tremendous addition. Like I've known Toes before for years. Uh, Toes was me and Toes did our scholarship together uh, back in the back way that went. But um, <laughs> when someone said they paid a documentary fee of about 200 grand for him I was like Jesus Christ the toes are you sure but honestly worth his weight in gold that season just from 
the communication side of it, just from being a pro, turning up every day, training as hard as he can, um, and setting the foundations. And, and I think that he made the two either side of him, obviously not as experienced. So that season it was either Aaron Hayden played most of it, and it was either Harry Lennon for the first half of the season, and Maxi second half of the season. But Toes, I felt, made everyone in the back three. I think he made them better. I think he made them better players from his communication, from his leadership skills. Um, and obviously with Azza and Harry either side of him, we have two athletes, absolute athletes. We've seen recently that the interview Toza gave about his dad and, you know, very vulnerable, it, it, which we don't see very often. We've seen Mullen on a documentary talk being quite vulnerable talking about his son. On Toza, yeah. because Mullen, I mean, we'll get on to him maybe and specifically what makes him so good, but Toza, he is a real real gem to have in the football team, isn't he? Not only the leadership he offers you on the pitch, but actually off it as well. Yeah, for sure, for sure. He's a he's a classic middle-aged dad, to be honest. Like, he is just buying a book from his dress sense to his sense of humour. Um, what, what is it about his dress sense that's so bad? Because everybody says this, everybody that gets asked, his dress sense <laughs> is apparently the worst they've ever seen. <laughs> Toes, I mean, Toes has been getting hammered for his clobber since I've known him, and that was at 16 years old. Um, he's there's a. I tell you what, there's one thing he did that was absolutely brilliant. Actually, he um, when he first came in, me, like I told all the lads about him as a 16 year old. Cause I hadn't seen. I played against him for years, but I hadn't actually seen him and had a conversation with him since we were 16, 17. Um, and I told all the lads, I was like, he well, we were at Swindon together. Every single day, he wore the same T-shirt in to training. And this T-shirt said, I heart D&G. And it was a big heart here. I said, it's one of the worst T-shirts I've ever seen. I said, it was so overused. I said, it was so baggy that it was basically a V-neck now. I said, honestly, horrendous. Everyone used to hang it up every day, soak it in the shirt, all of this. I said, and he kept wearing it in. He kept wearing it. And then he'd come in and denied it. <laughs> I was like, hold on a minute. I was like, that's exactly what happened. And he denied it. So he was like, no, nah, that never happened. I was like, yeah, it did. So I'm like trying to get proof. Anyway, fast forward six months, obviously I've forgotten all about it. Um, and we had one of our team nights out. Um, and Toza turned up exactly how I'd expected him to. Terrible jumper, ter- terrible jeans he's owned for 10 years and a pair of beaten up Converse, like completely just like straight as you can. Uh, nothing wrong with that. Absolutely nothing wrong with that, but not very creative is the word I'd use. So um, he's wearing that and we're having a few beers and it's getting to the point I'm getting a bit giddy, I'm getting a bit... And, um, and then all of a sudden, I see him come back from the bathroom and he's taking his jumper off and he's tied it around his waist and he's got I Heart D&G t-shirt on. And I loved that. I thought that was brilliant. I really, really tickled me. He'd obviously had it gone out and had it made, but it really, really tickled me. And that's the sort of humour he toes would bring to the, to the table. So, yeah, I think, I think he is worth his weight in gold. As I say, he, he, professionally, what he's as good a pro as you'll see and... and um, and he's still, yeah, still doing it for for you in the third season. I, I reckon you fancy yourself as one of the best dressed that Wrexham have had because you, you always look so smart when you're away on these trips. On these, you're on a holiday every two weeks. Whenever I, I don't know. know what you mean, mate. I'm not sure what you mean. <laughs> so on these nights out, because there's always a sometimes, and I find with my own mates, sometimes there's people that surprise you in the group that maybe a, a more of a laugh on a night out or a little bit different. Who were the kind of characters you would side with on these nights out? Oh, I tell you, he was good fun. Uh, Sean Brisley, he was good fun. I enjoyed Sean. Rob Layton's a canon at all times, by the way. Hilarious bloke, absolutely hilarious. But he would be the same on a night out, probably quieter a night out than he is day to day. Um, 
Who else was about? I got along really well with Harry Lennon, so Lennon was a good one. Um, um, so so those two, though, just just pick up, picking up on them, Harry Lennon and Rob Lainson, they obviously both, Harry Lennon's retired now because of injury, uh, and Rob Lainson, if we're being truthful, we don't know if he'll be able to play again. Just his, his injury situation is getting worse. Seen another specialist recently. Yeah. Talk to me a bit about recovery just just the rehab inside of him mentally because for Harry Lennon he had to make a decision where he's retired and Rob Lane yeah. is probably facing the decision where he's got to decide what's going on it, it must be absolutely agonizing it's, for me it's the worst thing in football I think people don't understand people look at you and uh, and especially people you grew up with and people maybe that don't know you as well but people look at you and go you've got nothing to moan about you've got the best job in the world and, and listen, most of the time I agree with them, but the hardest thing in football that people don't understand and people don't see much of is the setbacks and the injuries because it affects everything. For example, if you're away from home, away from your family, you already sacrifice so much to be a footballer and we'd all do it happily, by the way, because the pros are where the cons in that aspect, but you sacrifice so much to be a footballer away from your family, away from your friends, um, living in a new town, up and moving, wherever you get called. Um, but when you, but playing a game on a Saturday for three points and winning makes everything all right. You, I, I absolutely adore that feeling of going out on a Saturday and competing. But when you're away from everyone and you can't play, and it's even the little things like you might be in different times of the day to the lads, or you, you're on your own in the gym again, or they all go off to training, they're all laughing and joking, they're all together, and you have to take yourself off to, to a gym session or a session that's really hard and mentally challenging to just keep doing it when you feel like you're not quite getting where you need to like those sort of sessions are so so tough and it does take a for sure a, a, a mental stint there um but yeah people don't realize the cruelty and the and and, the, and that sort of side of the game as much because everyone concentrates on the positives and the negatives at times can be horrendous but i think being a footballer this day and age you have to be especially back a little bit further, I'd say, actually, but I'd say you, you mentally have to be as strong as you are physically to, to come over all the setbacks. And, and it's one of those things where every time you have a setback, you've got to come back better and you have to have a focus because it is tough. And, and if you do keep breaking down like those two lads did, um, then it's a really, really, it can be a really dark place because you do feel so alone with it. Like you, you're, both of those people will do anything. Anyone that's injured, that's a professional footballer, anyone that's injured, I'm a hundred percent sure no one wants to be injured. Everyone wants to be out there on a Saturday playing. Everyone. So if you can't, then then it is really really tough. And like you say, it's a it's a mental battle more than anything. Two parter for you then. So with your injury, what was it? The fact it was freakish compared to what you'd had that was most frustrating. And, and were you able to at least come home to recover, or were you just up in Wrexham in a flat that you'd got? No, that's it. So I was up in Wrexham in a little flat on my own. I girlfriend family back there and he was yeah it was that is tough that is really really tough but again it's part and parcel of football like that's what we signed up for so um there are plenty of pros as I say but my main focus that season I remember having a conversation with my old man actually um and I was fuming and I was gutted and I was like this could be a while like this could be and it was the longer it was going every rescan like my time was running out it was that point of the year where we were looking at it and we we're going this could still be another two months and there's two months left of the season, like two and a half months left of it, and you're thinking, my time's running out here, I'm not done, I want to be a part of this, like, there's going to be a big finish to the season. So my sole focus was, no, 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 if they're telling me eight weeks, I'm going to come back in seven, 
because I'm going to do everything within my power to get right. Um, and I knew, I knew that if I did that, we were going to have a big end to the season and there was going to be something to play for and I wouldn't want to miss that. Because one of the toughest things you'll do is, is watch a game that you can't play in. So say, for example, all the boys going out, you're seeing them prepare, you're watching a game Saturday, you're stood there, you're, you're watching and you can't have an impact on that game or you can't do what you love doing or what you were brought here to do this, that's really tough to swallow. So, um, yeah, my, my main motivation that got me through that was the fact I knew this club was going to have a big sort of finish to the season. And funnily enough, my, I think it was my second appearance back was Wembley. And Wembley is one of the things I've always wanted to do before I retired. I'd never played at Wembley. I'd lost out twice previously in playoffs. Um, and I, one thing I was desperate to do in my career was play at Wembley. And then, I watched the game. I was about a week away from training and I watched the game where Moles scored two against Stockport and put us through to the trophy final. I've never celebrated like it. Honestly, I couldn't tell you. Like, I taking myself back to that moment, I was, I, I, celebrate, I can't tell you how excited and ecstatic I was about that moment because I knew there might be an opportunity for me to play at Wembley here. There might, I might be coming back in time to play at Wembley. Where, where were you in the, Were you just in, on the bench, in the stand? I mean, because I was there, Moles chips the keeper for the first one, and then it was just an unbelievable sequence. I mean, just talk to me through not only your celebration, but afterwards for that game that everyone was getting to Wembley. It must have been unbelievable. Yeah, yeah. He'd done the old Jude Bellingham, I believe, didn't he? Just the old... Stood there like in front of Jude Bellingham was doing the Paul Molly, we say. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, unbelievable. Yeah, it was. I was um, I was just behind the bench in the stand. So there's a there's, as you walk out the tunnel, just on the left, and I was with the other lads that couldn't play at the time. Uh, I think it was me and Rob Layton. I think it was me and him, and because obviously he had his hand thing um, at the time, and we were just honestly, we like grabbed it. You know, as it's sort of like the balls in the air, it felt like forever. We were just grabbing each other and going crazy. But that was a brilliant feeling because all that work, all that realization was kind of like coming. I felt I felt like a real swing then, where like you've gone through all this hard time and it's going to mean something. It's going it, to, this is, this is meant to be type thing. I'm on the right path. So, um, I remember thinking like, no, 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 this is, this is good. I'm going to get a chance here. Cause now we're at Wembley. Like everything I thought that potentially could happen is happening. So we're getting ready to go to Wembley, the FA trophy final against Bromley. What, what's your mindset? Are you training fully at this point? Are you just in a rush? Yeah. You know, you... yeah, no, no, I'm training fully at this point. So I'm like building fitness day by day and feeling better each time and, um, and kind of just waiting for the opportunity. Um, I also remember thinking, because we had a really big squad at the time, I also remember thinking as well, like, there's seven subs here as well. So it's not like there's the normal five and the gaffer always likes having a goalkeeper on the bench. So I was thinking there's seven subs here. Two more have got to come into play. Because obviously when, you're, when you haven't been fit for so long, you wonder how long they want you to train with the team first or if they wanted me to get any other games under my belt. But it was strange because I put my mental uh, mentality into, right, we're going after this. We're going to do everything we possibly can because you're going to have a part to play, mate. I kept telling myself and kept telling myself, you kind of feel like your stars are aligning a little bit and this is all coming into like what you think. So I kind of got to that point and when we won that game, I kind of like, without thinking about it, just assumed I would play and, and have a have a moment in the game. So it gets to Wembley, you're on the bench from the start. He, he's gone with yeah. um, Mullen and Palmer. 
Yeah. You do come on. Luke Young is taken off. 86th minute, you do come on. 1-0 down. Michael Cheek scored for Bromley. Firstly, not making the starting line, was, were you expecting that? You were expecting to start on the bench? For sure. For sure. They, uh, they brought Palm, Palms in at end of January. Um, and since he came in, he's done really, really well. Really well. Uh, he scored a lot of goals. Uh, gave the team the boost we needed at the time, for sure. Um, and they were making a partnership. Like I say, the Gaffer was desperate to have a partnership up top. Um, and they were making a partnership and they were playing really well. So for sh- I never, ever contemplate starting, no. But for me, where my season had gone and the injury I'd had, I was just ecstatic to be on the bench at the time. Like I'd have an opportunity to play. So then you get on. I mean, you must have been anxiously just hoping like you've got to win where you want to get on, you want to get on. The game is crying out for a striker. We need to change it. I think they were a bit gassed, both of them up top. You come on and then it's the moment that's been clipped up, loads and loads and loads. You score, the flag goes up, the owners are celebrating in the box. Talk, talk <laughs> me through that sequence because you must have thought dreams had come through true there that you'd scored at Wembley. I was in the crowd. I was gone. I was off. I was done. I was, um, yeah, no, the, uh, I remember the owners, that clip when that ended up going quite viral, didn't it? And uh, that's the best goal I've never not scored. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, it was, like I say, I think I had two chances before that, funnily enough. One was, um, one across come in. Uh, and, and funny, one of my best friends played for Bromley. Obviously, not a friend for that 90 minutes, but one of my best mates played for Bromley at the time, a lad called Liam Trotter. And as I've come on, I've noticed he's picking me up from set pieces. So I'm thinking, here we go, mate. If I score here, you're never living this down. Um, and the ball come in, uh, and some, it went to the back stick, someone heads it across. And I remember thinking, um, this is me, I'm heading this. And I got up above him. Uh, I was pretty high, actually, and I headed it down. And the keeper makes a good save, just tips it over the bar. Uh, and there's this fantastic photo that I throw up every year on my Instagram for his birthday of me just sort of coming above him. Um, and if honestly, if that would have gone in, I'd, he would have never, ever lived that down. But uh, yeah, so I'd come on, I'd had two of those chances where one, I probably should have done better with. One, I felt I did well with and it was a good save. Um, and then I just remember thinking, get in between the six, get in between the six, something's coming with the pressure's building, like get in between the six. And I think Miles was wide and he put in a cross. Um, now I'm five yards in front of the post. So I remember thinking, just get in the keeper's eye line because you want, I can't touch it. Like there's no way from where the ball was coming in, I could have done anything with it. So I remember thinking, just get in between the posts and I sort of like ducked underneath it and the keeper parried it and then I put it in. But I would... Usually, I think as a centre forward, you you know beforehand if you're offside or not. So, like, if you make a run, you score in your mind. You think oh, I could have been offside there, or if you make a good run and you know you're onside, you know. And I remember thinking, I'm 100% onside there. Um, so, like, I didn't even look at the linesman. I was off. I was done. I thought, here we go. This is everything I've waited for. Um, and then, yeah, for that to get ruled out, I was gutted. But in the moment, funnily enough, I still thought that my time was coming. I just thought I was getting closer. So, all right, they've ruled that out, but I'm getting another chance here and it's going in. And it was just in my head that I was going to score that day. Uh, unfortunately, it didn't count. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with muck delivery. You in? Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. 
As football fans, we often pride ourselves on knowing everything, from which substitution can turn the game around to the quickest route home to beat the crowds. However, when it comes to discussing feelings with our friends, we might not always feel as confident. That's why we're here to equip you with the right tools so you can reach out to those who can help. If your mates are struggling, let them know that the Samaritans are free to call on 116123. That's 116123. They are there to listen without judgment or pressure. 24-7, 365 days of the year. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. I mean, we've said it, uh, you know, many times before, especially after that game, but it, it was one of the most disappointing performances because we'd lost at Dagenham and people wrote that off as well. You know, Stockport, we, one Stockport score didn't really matter and it got to the lads, it got onto the pitch. Honestly, at that point, we were a little bit, we were worried that we were going to finish with a bit of a damp square valves in. I know we'll get onto the, the playoff game, but it must have been so frustrating in the dressing room because I know Robin Ryan went in afterwards and kind of shook everyone's hand, but was the feeling like that they the squad had done themselves a disservice in that final? I think so. I think, like I say, any losing any game, we're all we're all professional footballers. Like that's what we pride ourselves on. So losing any game, like you're not happy about it. Like it'll ruin the weekend for sure. But losing a game of that sort of, uh, yeah, that that sort of caliber of game where it's a final, there's a trophy at the end of it. You're playing at Wembley, the home of football. There's fifty plus thousand people there. Um, that really hurts and that, that will live with all of us for a long time because that's, that's not easy to come back from. Um, but you have to try and fuel yourself in the right way. So at the time, I remember thinking, I, I, I can't remember if, I, I felt like we thought we were going to win the game, if, if that makes sense. So like, that might be being really harsh, but that can go one or two ways. When Sometimes when you've got that confidence, it's, it works for you and you go, yeah, we're going to win this game but, and you go and win 2-3-0 and then you go into the next one and you go and win 2-3-0 because you're full of confidence as a side and you know how to win games and, and I felt that. So going into that, I'm assuming that's like a good thing. Like I felt like we knew we were going to win that game and I felt like that could be a good thing because we go and win that one, sets us up perfectly, then we go and beat Grimsby and then we go and win the, um, and what an end to the season that would be. So I felt like we, I felt like we're going into that game, we felt like we were going to win it. Um, and unfortunately, there is a flip side to that. Sometimes when you feel like you're going to win it, um, you might just lose that 5-10% edge. And, and I, listen, I don't know if we did. It was I remember it being a very hot day. Pitch is massive. It's a, it's a tough one. And, and also, it's an equaliser, the fact it's a final. Like, it's not... We've seen it how many times before. In a final, anything can happen. It's not necessarily the best side wins. Um, so it was one of those things where, yeah, it was disappointing, but it was disappointing as a squad. But we had to pick ourselves up very quickly with a game around the corner. Were you surprised, given that was your, your sort of experience at Wembley, were you surprised, A, by how big the pitch was and, and kind of how it was just optically on the pitch? Because it's completely different to sort of playing anywhere else. Yeah, I, for sure. I think um, I think the strangest thing for me was the fact they split the stadium, all the fans outside and none of the fans outside. That was... Really strange because when I've been to previous games at Wembley from that aren't top teams, maybe like uh, League Two, League One playoffs, what they usually do is the bottom two tiers, right? And they try and fill it that way, and that feels like a fantastic atmosphere. So what was really strange was playing in a stadium where you look that way and there's fifty five thousand people there, and it's brilliant. It's the biggest game of your life. You look the other way, it looks like a resi game. So it's kind of that was that was strange. I felt that was really really strange. Um, but to be honest, like 
looking at that, how that season went, I've, I've, the boys done for them to come so close to first season and to fail on both accounts, um, finish second. Listen, it's not really a fail. I've, I've always said that this league's ridiculous. We should one hundred percent have two. The first two teams should go up automatically, and the third team should go up through the playoffs, the same as every other league. It's ridiculous. Hardest league to get out of. Um, but yeah, to to come second and to finish yeah second in the league and second in the FA Trophy is is really hard to pick yourself up. And, and massive credit to the boys to go and win win the league in the way they did it with the record amount of points the following season because that's that's an incredible achievement. That Grims, I mean, we'll get on to the Grimsby game now, which was absolutely there's no real word for it, bonkers is the closest one we've got. You end up coming on in that. I mean, watching that, playing in that. Have you, have you known a game like it? No, no. And it was very out of character, I felt, as well. Um, very out of character because we were a big, robust team, uh, as Parky's teams usually are. So we dominate teams from set pieces, things like that. And and uh, and Grimsby obviously scored a fair few from set pieces that day. So it was, it wasn't, I felt it was very out of character. But as a centre forward, listen, at times in those games, you just have to concentrate on your own job. So for me, I'm going, there's goals going in everywhere, get me on. There's, there's opportunities coming, there's goals coming. So that was my mentality is get me on, there's, there's a goal coming here. Um, but yeah, it was very, very surreal because you just didn't expect it. Didn't expect it. Like coming into the changing room after that game, the emotions I can't even just describe to you. It was, it was surreal to the point I didn't believe what had just happened. And, that's, and that was unfortunately the end of the season. So everything we fought for, everything we worked for, even personally throughout that injury, all those bike sessions, all those sessions, everything, it come to nothing. And that was, that was hard to oh, do. On the pitch before Luke Waterfall scores the header, I've always been fascinated to know as a player, are you, surely you're only human beings. Is there one eye on penalties at that point when you're getting into the final? Like you as a striker thinking, I might have to take a penalty here. For sure. I remember thinking that at Wembley as well, actually. Um, because I was so convinced we would, we would draw that game. Like, we would get a goal in the last bit. I was so convinced. So I remember, I remember there was a, there was a stoppage in play. I can't remember what for. And I remember looking at the goal thinking, where am I putting this? Where am I putting this? Which corner am I going in? So I remember doing that in both games because I was so convinced that, well, sorry, I remember doing that in the Wembley game because I was so convinced that was going to penalties. Um, the play the playoff game, funny enough, I thought we were going to win it, but like you say, the closer the clock gets, you kind of have a little look and go, right, I'm going there, and um, and yeah, one hundred percent. Like I, as a centre forward, I think you would be one of the first people to put your hands up. So I was looking at that game. I'm one hundred percent taking it. It's so frustrating for me when I watch matches for work and I see centre forwards fourth or fifth, or they don't take, and it's like a centre back that steps up as the second taker. Uh, with players you've played with, is it? It's mad, isn't it, that strikers don't always sort of volunteer for penalties? Yeah, it is. It is. I think, I think I completely agree. I think if you're a centre forward, then all the best centre forwards have got to have that sort of arrogance where they think I'm the best man for the job here. Um, but at the same time, penalties isn't necessarily all about technique. It's more about your bottle, in my opinion. It's more about having the bollocks to. Are we to you, can say that. you got that. You got it, mate. You're fine. Oh, You're fine. Yeah. So um, yeah, it's having the bollocks to step up and, and be counted at the time and, and and follow through with it. So 
yeah, I, I do agree that strikers 100% should take them. But at the same time, if you've got other players that are more confident and you've got a, a centre-forward that isn't quite sure and another player goes, I'm taking it, I'm, I'm scoring it, then as a manager, I'd, I'd want the five people that wanted the penalty to take them. Um, I actually, I'll never forget, Miles said to me, um, I think it was the week before, he said to me, because the Geffa had to ask people who would take them, so the boys put their hands up and it was kind of like, I'm in an iron with the order. And Moles always said he wanted to be in the top three. Um, he, first, second or third. And he said, because I've been in, he said, yeah, I've been in a penalty shootout where you didn't, you, I've, we've lost by the time it's got to me and I never took one. He said, your top three. So he was adamant that your best three penalty takers should be in the first three because if your best penalty takers last and you miss your first three, he doesn't get to take one. Uh, so that is a really good point. I do like that. I um, I always like taking the first penalty, just the first one, get it done. And then, because there's nothing worse than sort of lingering around and the pressure grows and the pressure goes. So I was, in my opinion, if, if it was up to me, I'd always take the first Given, given you'd have been practising shootouts in training before both of those games, did anyone surprise you? Any player that you thought, wow, yeah, fair play, they're, they're, they're a decent penalty taker? I can't remember, actually. Oh, there you go. I'll I put you remember. on the spot. I mean, yeah. Yeah, I mean, Luke Young, Jordan Davis, these boys, great penalty takers, to be honest. They, uh, so I can't actually remember anyone being exceptional that I didn't expect to. Um, we've, we've always thought, we've always had a theory that Ben Tozer actually, because was he a striker back in the day? Because he's had some absolute no, rockets. No, what are you on about not. that? No. Is that no, a myth? Tozer not a striker. Keep him away from that end of the field. Is that, Absolutely so There was not. some myth that going around that he was a striker back in his youth days. Is that, is that a myth? No, no, in the youth days, he, uh, hold on, I'm just going to turn this mic. Uh, in the youth days there, Toza was a centre-back still, very much so a centre-back. Um, he, for our youth cup run, we all dyed our hair uh, bright, we were supposed to be platinum blonde, like the Romanian team back in the day, because uh, we had a really good FA youth cup run, and we all ended up doing it... Um, this we, uh, one of the lads' houses in the bath. We did it ourselves. It's about sixteen years old, and um, and Toast, obviously he's got jet black hair. He um, he done it, and it come out so yellow. It looked like cheese. It looked like straw. And it was so yellow. It was a joke. And after the FA Cup run finished, we all dyed our hair back to normal colour. And and Toast kept it the whole time. And he ended up making his first team debut with this horrendous blonde. I mean, it looked like a wig. It was te- he was not. He wasn't the best looking geezer at sixteen years old. He's he's actually blossomed. Um, but yeah, so no, he was always a centre half. Um, he Tosa was very much the same as he's always been. To be honest, he's he's been that sort of character, that sort of size, that sort of player where he tried to play football, um, and he's always had a long throw. So yeah, that's sort of that's sort of been him from from the get go. Talking about the the dressing room afterwards, I think we saw we might have seen a, a little clip of it. Um, in the recent documentary, I think we see Callum McFadden. Maybe that might be might be a different a different um, different clip. Maybe, but was it just silent? Was it just? I mean, what can you say after after losing the playoff? There's nothing really you can say. Yeah, it was. It was. It wasn't a good place to be because, again, a lot of us believed so much that I, I felt like everything we'd gone through. We knew that us and Stockport County was so far ahead of everyone else in that league at the time. Um, that 
it was a real disappointment. Like we just sort of assume that they've been promoted automatically, will get promoted to the playoffs. Not assumed. I don't mean that in a bad way. What I mean is we were full of confidence. We knew we were the best team in those playoffs. So if we turned up on the day, we'd win them. Um, and then that sort of realisation and that trying to sink in when you're sat in the change room, realising that everything we've done over the last 10 months and we're going to have to start again next season, that was a horrible feeling. Um, and obviously, when you progressed in the playoffs, we'd have been in training Monday, Tuesday as normal. And now it's kind of like, see you later, lads. And obviously, at the same as every season, there's boys out of contract. So you won't see them again. And it was just, I remember feel, feeling so like overwhelmed with it that we hadn't achieved what we set out. Because for me, throughout the whole year, watching that team grow, I just, I couldn't fathom that. I couldn't fathom that being the end of it. I just assumed that we would get promoted that year uh, in the best way, just because we were a better team than most. And, and we were growing and we were building and we looked at proper outfit. And I just thought, yeah, this is, this is a team that deserves to get promotion. But sometimes you don't get what you deserve. No, well, we, we know that. All, well, we've got it now, but we knew that for many, many years when we got 98 points. Absolutely. One of the questions I was going to say is that maybe this is a tad harsh, and I'm sure you can put me back in line with it. Were you were you annoyed when the club signed Ollie Palmer? Or did you just think the writing's on the wall for me now? Um, listen, it, football's a business. It's absolutely ruthless, and football doesn't owe you anything. So it's it's one of those situations where... I knew it would have a big impact on my future because um, they bought Palms in from a higher level uh, and they paid a lot of money for him. So that's a that's a sign that the club are investing heavily in it. But that's part and parcel of being at a club that wants to win things. Uh, and that will happen again and again and again. Even the calibre of players they're now bringing in, Steve Fletcher players like this. All This will happen again and again and again. And that's unfortunately the remedy to success. No one cares about if you're the casualty or not. Um, so, yeah, like, don't get me wrong, at the time it was a bit of a, when you're injured, like I said, you're in a low place as it is, at the time it's a bit of a, Jesus, all right, cool, because you feel like you get forgotten that little bit easier, you get forgotten that little bit quicker, rather than, like, no matter what we say, if if the game, if we're winning games, but, I don't know, we're missing a couple of chances, something like that, it's always nice for someone to go, tell you what, mate, it'd be brilliant if we had you out there, because that just gives your ego that tiny little bit of boost, and that might carry you forward to go, I'm going to hit this week hard, because... People remember they want to be back, but Palms come in and he's done brilliant. So the thing is, in in the grand scheme of things, it was a fantastic decision from the football club because he come in, he hit the ground running, and he did really, really well. Uh, and that's football, and that's football. And he's a good bloke, really, really good bloke. He's had a great career, and and I wish him all the best. And um, and I still speak to him now, to be honest, because we have got a group of us where um, we still touch touch base. So uh, yeah, we still check in there and there. And and as I say, he's done he's done fantastic. So. On a, on a personal level, yeah, you're disappointed, but from a football club level, they had to do that. They had to go and bring someone in if they wanted to, as I say, I've missed such a big part of that season. They had to go and bring someone in that was going to have an impact on the team, um, that was going to step up, and someone that had been there and done it. You, that's kind of not really the time, I think, that you want to take like a risk on someone. That's when you need to go and get someone proven, when you need to go and get someone that you know is going to hit the ground running. And, and it's going to have a good, a positive impact on the team. And, and Palms coming in and did that. So, before, yeah, I'd say it was disappointing personally, but I think it was good. Before to... we get onto some of the other players specifically, what are Steve, what, what's Steve Parkin like? And, and how is he a good foil for Phil Parkinson? Pa- little Parky, little Parky <laughs> is, uh, he's old school, old school, old school. Like he would be, 
yeah, like didn't tolerate any rubbish, didn't tolerate niggles, didn't tolerate anything. He was very old school. Ruthless, absolutely ruthless as well. Um, but I think he was a very, I think he was a, a different type. So I'm, I'm listening, I'm sure Phil Parkinson was just as ruthless in a way. Like he's, he's, he's had a fantastic career. You can't, you can't not be. Um, but the gaffer sort of stood back a lot and in training side of things and watched until we were doing the tactical side of it. So set pieces, so formation, things like that. Um, but he'd stand back on maybe a Tuesday when we're getting people going and, and watch and analyse. And Parky was very much in there, wanted to coach, wanted to be busy, wanted to... And he would, yeah, he would... Um, he'd shout, but Parky could have a little laugh as well. So he'd, like, catch you off guard. So, like, for example, like, sometimes you'd be joking around, blah, 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 laughing and joking, and you think, oh, he loves it. Like, great, let's give him a little bit. And then the next minute, he'd be effing and blinding and swearing that you're telling me to run harder. So he had, like, this switch in him. Um, but, yeah, no, I think, obviously, listen, they've, they've been a partnership now for years and years, and I think, obviously... They've proven for years and years that it works really well. So they're probably the perfect balance. I think they'll, as a player, you don't get to see all of that all the time. You don't get to see how they balance off each other or the ideas they have or the conversations they have. You just get to see the bits on the training pitch. Uh, and when I was there, it was very much Parky was the hands-on sort of coaching side of it or setting up the sessions and carrying out the sessions. Uh, and the gaffer was there to analyse and overlook that was very much happening. One of the people I'd love to get on the podcast one day, maybe maybe if he ever leaves the club, is Kitman Ewan. What is what is Kitman Ewan like? The best guy at our football club, mate. I've never met anyone that don't love Ewan. He's the best. I adore him. I think he's brilliant. When I moved, funnily enough, I, he helped me move. Stole stole my microwave or something, but helped me move. He is brilliant, mate. Loved it. Yeah, he's such a good he guy. He stole your microwave? No, not... No, he actually didn't actually steal it. It was one of those where, like, we put it on the van and I was like, I, I think I couldn't fit it in. Like, we had a certain amount of space I couldn't fit it in. He was like, it's all right, I'll take that. And, uh, and then we played him when I went on loan. He played him a couple of weeks later. And I was like, you and you bring that microwave with you, mate. And he was like, that's in the kit room, pal. He's got that tucked up in the kit room. Um, but no, he's one of those guys where no matter what day you're having, you see you and he puts a smile on your face. And that's so underrated at a football club to come in and see someone uh, that every single day, rain or shine, he's double happy and he's buzzing and he's joking around and he's having a laugh. And he is he's such a brilliant character at that football club, I can't tell you. And I'm actually so happy for him. Like I, when you boys got promoted last year, I was looking for all the, I was looking for all the, um, all the pictures and everything. And there's some pictures of him giving it to the crowd and all that. And I loved it because I can imagine how much that meant to him. He's a, he's a top, top bloke. Kit, really good Kit men are massively underrated, I think, for the role they play. Like, there's not really... They're always in the shadows. And so when he was having the pitches, that's great. But, you know, you speak to players and they think, like, he's the rock. Like, if I'm injured or if I... Like, they're so essential. Well, let's have it right. Washing the kit isn't rocket science. So, like, so like to be a good kit man, for me, half the job description is be a great guy around the place. That's for me. I could tolerate if you've lost my socks, if you're a great guy. See if you're a bit of a knob. See if you're a moody bastard. See if you don't give me any kit and then you lose my stuff. Then I'm going to be annoyed. But if you're a great guy uh, and you're like happy, like just around the place and, and as I say, a good impact on the boys, it's, it's worth his weight in gold because the amount of people that would go and have a laugh with him or joke around with him or uh, you, you'd see at the end of training before the boys left, there'd be three or four people sitting in his room talking to him. So like, 
Yeah, he's he's terrific to use as well with that. Charlie as well, the uh, the groundsman, them two were like talking to they were, they were like a double act. Yeah, well we've we've come all this way, we're fifty odd minutes in here, and we haven't mentioned the main two, Rob and Ryan. You obviously did you're one of the few that has had dealings with them a couple of times. What were they like? How how did you find them, the fact that they were so in, interested in you lot and, and respectfully, you know, they they have a lot of things they could be interested in and it doesn't necessarily need to be fifth division footballers at the time. That that's so crazy. it was honestly so mad. Like like you say, I um I knew loads about Ryan before he came in. I've watched loads of his films. Uh, well, I think stupidly and the, probably the least cool thing I've ever done in my life is the day I met him, I told him straight away that one of my favourite comedy was the Hat Change Up. Like straight off the bat, like didn't didn't even introduce. Hi, I really like Change Up. It was terrible, terrible. Um, but he's again the person he is. I can't speak highly enough about him. Just as a just as a general man, as a as a polite bloke, as a even across the whole of my career, uh, if I've played for ten different clubs, never had a chairman text you on your birthday, except it. Like, do you know what I mean? He's just as a bloke, unbelievable. Uh, and obviously, the fact that he is so well known, the fact that how well he has done, all the success, like for him to still be that. Um, that, that man and that character is says bundles about him. Really, really, really top, top bloke. And, and, and I would say the same about uh, Rob. Rob, I spoke to a little less. I didn't see Rob quite as much. Um, but again, as a bloke, when he was there, he was finding out about us, asking about us, how's the family, how's this? And he knew so much about us. So one thing I remember thinking about Rob is, because obviously I think when they first took over, um, they were still sort of learning on the job, if that makes sense, um, how a football club is run, even how football's run, just how football is. But uh, Rob knew so much. Rob was hooked from the start. He was, and I'm sure so was Ryan, but Rob would surprise me with the things he knew. Like he'd tell me something that happened to me a year ago. And I'd be like, how does he even? So he was, it was very obvious that he was super invested and done all his research and everything like that for, for ages. And I think... Um, I think that says a lot about him as well. But they were, they, people always say that, don't meet your heroes because you'll be disappointed. Those two um, exceeded my expectations tenfold. Like they were, you, you expect of someone to be that well-known and that sort of high caliber person to get a bit fed up and be like, no, I can't have enough of that. I just want to be on my own. Um, but they weren't. They were just so excited to be around us and, and talk to us. And they always made such an effort and, and that went a long way with the boys, for sure. That went a long way with the boys. I remember messaging you when I saw the Welcome to Wrexham Season 1 poster and you were essentially front and centre with the owners. How chuffed, how chuffed were you when that came out? <laughs> that was the best. That was, by the way, complete luck. That was so lucky. But that was the best. I remember, actually, because um, this was probably three weeks from the end of the season at the time. Um and I'd been put down the middle and I was absolutely buzzing, but they put me next to Ollie Palmer. He's a six foot five, right? He's massive. And I was like, if I'm going to be down the middle, I'm going to look tiny next to him. So I remember being and taking the photos and every time the photos took, I was just stood on my tiptoes, trying to make myself a bit taller. Rob, on the other hand, Rob brought in a box. He had a little box to come in. I don't know if I'm allowed to say that, but Rob had a little box that he stood on. Uh, and we had a, a, yeah, and he had this little box that he was stood on. And I was like, you don't have a box anywhere, lads, or what? I, uh, yeah, because I was bouncing up and down on my toes. Palms kept trying to bring me out. 
gobbling up and being like, get down, get down. But it was massive. I was tiny next to it. Yeah, I bet you've got, I, I bet you, you've, you and your friends and your family enjoyed that one, those slap bang in the middle. Because some of the players were cut off. And I know speaking to some of them, they were like, damn, I think I haven't made the cut. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it, do you know what? It was literally probably just luck of the draw. They just went, oh, damn, you there, you there. And, and I was just happy to be down the middle. There you go. Yeah, that would be enough. I'd be gutted if I was one of the ones. Watching. There you go. Uh, I remember there was an extended one. I think Bryce made the extended one, the, the landscape. But once they put it in portrait, no, that's nowhere to be seen. Um, <laughs> the documentary, then, what, what was that like? Because were you the type, were you receptive to them filming all the time? Did you film those that never made it? Or were you kind of... Because actually, funnily enough, apparently I got told once that Toza, because he likes to laugh and, you know, he didn't want to seem unserious. So he actually was not really in season one that much um, and he, because he asked them sort of not to. I think that's right. Yeah, um, yeah. Were you kind of more receptive to it, open to it? Talk me through the documentary. I de- <laughs> Listen, I don't know if this is a good thing or a bad thing, um, but I did a lot of filming that didn't get put in. So I was kind of like, I thought at the start I was much more receptive to it at the start for sure because it was um it was all new and it was exciting and things like that don't get me wrong it does get a little bit of a grind like when it's consistent and it's always there and you haven't got your own time and like you say if you want to have a laugh like sometimes you feel like you couldn't but um I did a lot a lot of interviews that actually didn't get used um and speaking to one of the directors they said the main thing was that because I missed so much of the season um they sort of followed the team on the pitch which again, completely understandable, but um, that's 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 just part and parcel of the game. Um, so I did do quite a lot of, especially when I signed, first signed, did like interviews in the hotel room. They followed me to a coffee shop. They come to my home, things like that, um, and, and didn't get you. But that that's to be honest, I was kind of doing that just because they'd asked me. Like it wasn't a big thing for me. Yeah, it's fantastic to um, sort of see that side, and it's a completely new experience, but. It didn't, it didn't, the fact that I wasn't, I didn't make much of the documentary per se, it's not sort of, it doesn't bother me because I was there when it was all filming. I saw it day to day and, and that's the memory that will, that will live with me for a long time and in the fact that we can sort of refer back to it by looking at that, it's brilliant. It's really, really good. Um, so yeah, like I would, I, my, the biggest thing for me was I didn't play a big enough part on the pitch. So that was the more upsetting thing for me. Like I would have, if I ever watched that documentary back, um, I would love to have had like games where like I remember that oh, I remember that game and like you score a winner in the game and what it mean I would have rather have been in that side of it more so than the talking. Um so the biggest disappointment for me was that obviously that injury and the fact that I didn't have as much game time as I would want. The biggest disappointment for me was they used one snip a one little clip from the podcast over the entire season and it was the one week I was away. So I, I did I never I never made it. Um, <laughs> so right, so I, was, yeah, I was I was I was Fuming, um, but no, there we go. Uh, I remember bumping into you. Just, well, I mean, we're going to get towards you, your exit on loan, and then kind of time comes to end with Wrexham. But did you end up? We did you play in this Man United behind closed doors friendly? Yeah, I did play in that. So it was um, that was a great experience. Are as you well. a United fan? I played, have I made that up? No, no, you completely made that. I'm a Chelsea Ooh. fan, which isn't isn't much better at the minute, to be honest. Uh, but yeah, no, I, I played in that game. Yeah, I played, I think by that point in pre-season, it was 60-30s. So boys were doing 60 minutes and the rest of them were doing 30. So it's past the point of 45 to 45, so I think it was 60-30. So I think I played 30 minutes in the Manchester United game. Um, again, a fantastic experience. Again, that's another thing that comes with the calibre of the club. Uh, Wrexham 
are striving to be. Um, obviously, this preseason, speaking with some of the boys, was exceptional. It looked unbelievable. Um, but that's uh, that's another step up again. But yeah, no, I did play in that Manchester United game. But they had a few. I feel like Christian Eriksen might have played. I mean, what was it like just playing against that yeah. caliber of player? Was it just obvious that they were like unbelievable? Of course, of course. I, I think I won. Um, I come on and we had a goal kick, and Varane was playing. And and it was a and as I say, I'm looking at him going, this guy's won the World Cup. Uh, and I won the header from the goal kick, and then and then Varane went off, and I was just like, 100 percent record. What, what more can I do there? Uh, so yeah, that was nice. Um, but no, to be honest, they were uh, yeah, they were the cut above, but they were always going to be. Sometimes it's just a nice to see that. In real there was life. a story that Aaron Hayden pulled the Ronaldo celebration out when he scored. That's a fact. Is that a fact? I can confirm. That's a fact. I can confirm. Ronaldo was stood there watching the game, right? You just sat at the and side. You just sat at the side. At the side, yeah. Stood there watching the game, right? So Ronaldo witnessed this himself. And, <laughs> and hey, as I've done what he does, he, he got above someone from a corner and he scored after one minute, right? He scored after one minute. And, um, and he ran off into the corner, sprinted off, and all the boys are jogging behind him, congratulating and he ran over the corner and he went, two. And all the boys were like, oh my God, what have I just seen? And he was like buzzing with himself. So happy with himself. So I thought, oh, it was, yes. One of the most mental things I've witnessed him talking that about. Is, that's bonkers. That, I mean, fair play. I was going to say, had he told anyone he was doing it? But clearly not. No one seemed to know he was doing it. Nope. Absolutely no one knew that. Yeah. So let's fast track a bit because I, I want I do want to talk about South End and a little bit push for time. But... You leaving the club and ends up with sort of Sam Dolby coming into the club from Southend. How aware were you of what was going? Were you kept in the loop? Was it kind of Parky said to you, "You're no longer going to be my plans here." Uh, no, it wasn't that at all. Actually, he, um, I think I'd had a previous conversation about where my new role would be with him. Um, so, for example, first time I got brought in. As I said, I was very much the main man, um, given the nine shirt, and uh, supposed to be partnered with Miles. Um, now that had obviously swung now, that had changed. So I remember going to have a conversation with him um, after we'd just been on tour. So we'd just come back from Alicante, and I remember having a conversation with him, and he said to me, like, yeah, you're still in the plans, um, but effectively, those two are plan A, effectively. Um, and to be honest, that's very hard for me personally to, don't get me wrong, like I understood why that was because those two had done brilliant and they're fantastic players. But for me to be four hours away from my family in a different city and, and potentially not playing uh, when fit, that's, that's tough. Now, I was sort of just getting my head around the fact that I was like, do you know what? You come here to do a job. You come here to get promoted with this side, you come here to be a part of something more. Um, I was just sort of getting my head around that, where, okay, cool, right, yeah, you're not going to be the main, like, you're not going to be in the starting eleven every week. Um, but when you do get your chance, take your chance, prove what a good player you can be. Because uh, I always felt like there was unfinished business for me from the late first year. I showed glimpses of what I was capable of, but never really my full capability. So, yeah, I remember thinking that, okay, cool, and I was just starting to get my head around. Funnily enough, I actually had a chat with uh, Macca, uh, McAlinden, Leo McAlinden, and he was the one that he put it brilliant for me because we had a conversation and 
me and Maka didn't really sort of have that relationship where we'd have like be serious, be have a serious sit down chat. We never really sort of had that relationship. We sort of would always have a little laugh and a joke, blah blah. blah. We wouldn't have that. Con- and Maka spoke to me about it, and I remember thinking, "Fucking hell, he's actually right here. He's actually bang on the money." And he sort of said, "Like, look at a bigger picture, basically." Um, and I just got my head around, sort of going, "Okay, cool. You've still got a big part to play. It's not going to be what you want, but it's going to be. You can you can make this as big as you can, and it'll be a season you never forget." Because um, effectively, Parky had told me before that I wasn't sort of going anywhere, and there wasn't doesn't matter who was interested. Um, so I was like, "Yeah, cool, right, let's do it." And then it all swung. So what had happened was they'd set their sights on Sam Dalby, who uh, had a good year at Southend before, um, and then obviously Southend said we're not letting him go without getting another striker. Uh, and I knew Darren Curry. Uh, Daz had tried to sign me two times before, so he tried to sign me a couple of other times, Darren. Um, so I knew Darren well so Daz picked up the phone and said listen like they're going to sign Sam Dalby um, but we've said we're not selling him unless we get a striker do you fancy this so then you kind of reweigh it up and you go right so they're signing another striker similar again it's like, like I was a smaller quicker striker I was more of a vocal point same as Palm same as Dalby and I thought if they're going to bring him in anyway I sort of thought this could be a lot more limited than you first had first thoughts so the gaffer basically pulled me and was like right listen effectively this is how he is we're bringing in him so you can go there and then it was done right so so you end up going to south end i'm, I'm kind of having to fast forward a bit now but because uh, partly it's, in, it's interesting you say that about McElinden because i think respectfully i'll say this i think he's accepted a, a much lesser role and yet he got to be part of the promotion that he's accepted barely playing, not always making the bench. And that's okay. 100%. Exactly that. Yeah, that's exactly it. Now, I wouldn't say I've really got in my type of character. I don't think I've really got that in my life. I don't think I could do that. No, I'm very much like that. And and I sent it forward to Stubborn and and I'm one of those where like, say for example, I come on the weekend and score two goals, I'd expect to start the next game. So that would be really hard for me with the type of character I am. But... Mac is a fantastic player to have in your squad because he can play a number of positions, but also he's never going to kick up a fuss and he is that type where he's accepted he wants to be part of that team. And they're, and they're worth their weight in gold, by the way, because they're a manager's dream. They're an absolute manager's dream. Like A manager doesn't want someone that's going to be in there knocking on its door every week being like, why am I not playing? Why am I not playing? So for Macca's all his strengths, for his ability, for the fact he can play in so many different positions... That's why he's done so well at the football club, and I'm sure he'll be there for a long time because he's he's got the he's basically he's he's the the, the role Macca's chosen to play is such a unique role, and and um, and it's crucial. It's crucial for your football club. So he's done really really well. But that that was effectively the conversation he had with me. He was like, that was a, effectively it. Listen, you might have to get your head around this. You might be coming on. You might be getting twenty minutes. You might have to and. Um, and yeah, and it was at the time I was like, no chance, man, no chance. I want to play. I want to play. I'm, if I'm going to get fitter than I've ever been, I'm going to be better than I've ever been. I want to play. And then, as I say, as it goes, as it goes, you see that because sometimes it takes that person, you know, that's just a little bit away from the situation to read it better. And I found, yeah, Maka did that. So yeah, he's done. Yeah, I remember having a conversation with him, and, and as I say, he was bang on the money. South End then is a brilliant football club that have got a brilliant fan base but they are a complete mess 
Um, talk to me. You've hit the nail on the head. You've hit the nail on the head. I don't know. Talk, <laughs> Literally, that's exactly. You know, and, and I'm sure you're like all the fan base in that we all want Ron Martin to leave the football club alone and get the hell away from it and let them, you know, prosper basically without him. Uh, and we've seen the protests from the fan base. Going into a club like that where it is just a complete dumpster fire, for want of a better phrase, what is it like? It's it's much tougher than I expected. It was probably worse than I'd done. I didn't do I didn't have time to do too much due diligence on it. So what I knew of Southend before going there is Roots Hall. Playing there loads of times in League Two, things like that. Um, the fan base being unbelievable. I always loved playing there. Loved it as a player because the two tiers behind the goal, they felt so on top of you. The atmosphere was brilliant. Loved playing there. And I've always looked at Southend like a proper club, proper football club, obviously previously in the championship. So I wanted to go there. I wanted to represent them. I knew the of the manager. I knew Darren. I knew the way they wanted to play. It was proper football. Um, so on that front, it ticked all the boxes in the fact that yeah, all right, I'm going to play for a problem. You don't, I can't even tell you how much of an impact it has behind the scenes. It is massive. When you come in from a freezing cold training session and it's been snowing and you haven't got warm water to shower and the, the training grounds are tip and you're freezing. Um, or when there's silly little things like you're paying for lunches yourself um, that haven't turned up. Just, just silly little things that all build up just on top of you like the boys sat there luckily I was on loan but sat there and the, the boys on payday not knowing if they're going to get paid or checking up no they haven't been paid got mortgages to pay haven't been paid so if it, go again I oh, haven't been paid again and, and, and then it just drops further and further back where they're a week they're two weeks behind and then the boys start going well should we be playing now like should we be playing football on a Saturday or should we should we try and strike us like there's all this so, so the pay issue is obviously a big one that I wanted to ask. Were you kind of, because you were on loan, were you sort of covered? Were Wrexham kind of covering and you it was less of a priority? Yeah, so, yeah, so how it works, so exactly that. So personally, it's less of a priority. So what, what happens is Wrexham, I'm still contracted to Wrexham. So Wrexham pay my wages, but Southend pay Wrexham my wages or the percentage they worked out. Right. So Wrexham will pay me direct. So obviously... Every month, that's bang on the time, and they're brilliant, and that's fantastic. But Southend would then pay them, uh, and they'd always be late. I'd ma- listen, I'd imagine. I'd, I, I never, it wouldn't be up to me, but they'd pay them. Uh, but Southend done my bonuses um, and my rental, and yeah, like, without being, I'm still owed money to this day. So what I'm trying to get my head around with the pay issue at South End is we had it at Wrexham. I did a famous story about Dean Saunders came in with 20 grand in a briefcase and said, lads, who needs it the most, basically? Um, I'm not trying to make light of it at the same time. And, and I know Chris, who covers South End as a journalist for South End Echo, brilliant, brilliant guy, brilliant reporter. Really good guy. It, it, it is. Yeah, really good guy. Great guy. Um, but in the dressing room, how draining is it? I mean, you were an older player. Was it? Some of these lads are genuine is, it's cliche, but genuinely is mortgages, kids, families that need to get paid. Listen, no one at this level is on enough money to not be able to miss a month willy-nilly and not be able to pay your mortgage. Like it is, we had boys that, I, I remember sitting next to one lad in the change room and talking to him, and I won't obviously mention his name, 
that he was trying to apply for a mortgage. Um, and he'd basically, he, he was during a, it was during a house sale. So we'd had their house accepted. Him and his missus were buying this place. They were going to move into their first house. And, um, and during that time, it had taken so long that his three month um, sort of uh, mortgage in principle had now run out. So we needed to apply for a new one. His mortgage offer had expired. So we needed to apply for a new one. And, um, and he applied for a new one. They wouldn't give it him because South End had missed payments on his mortgage. They'd, he'd missed payments, so he couldn't, they wouldn't give it him. So now he's, he's scrambling. It's having such a massive effect on his life. And there was things like that all the time, not knowing if you're going to get paid to the point of it, we weren't paid for so long that people, we, you'd be this out there on Friday and you wouldn't know if we were playing or not. It was, it was crazy. We were having regular meetings and it was to the point, it was, it was so detrimental. I can't tell you how to, because you try not to, and the manager will try and put a nice spin on it, and he'll try and be like, lads, listen, forget all that, it's us in here. And, and that's what you have to do as a manager, right? You have to try and protect the players and, and get the players and stuff. But it wasn't like that. You were having boys on a Friday night, like not knowing what to do and struggling. And, and as I say, that is so hard in football. That's such a hard thing, because as much as we all love football and as much as we want to play and we can play for free, when that is your sole income, you need to be paid because you have bills, you have financial situations, your family might need support and you might have kids, like things like that. So you need to be paid. And that is a stress in anyone's life that takes your focus away from what you're supposed to be concentrating on. So across the board, that was one of the hardest things. Like last year, the squad we had at South End should have been a playoff squad. No doubt about it. And we missed out on the last day of the season by two points, I think. And I'm telling you now, that was because of what went on behind the scenes, for sure. Did, did you have any dealings or did the players have many dealings with Ron Martin? Not many. He come in two or three times uh, to, for a meeting. Um, but the lads that had been there for years had said, it's the same old, same old. Yeah. Um, and, and just a word on the fan base, because they did stick with the team as best they could and they rallied as best they could. Brilliant, brilliant fan base. Fantastic, especially when they're on your side. Fantastic. So loud. Travelled everywhere. Um, but it's a proper football club. It's a proper football club with proper fans. Um, and I'll tell you what is strange, because I'm, because I'm lucky enough to have played for the, the last two sides I played for, Southend and Wrexham. You don't, you don't realise until you play for the club how many people actually support and follow those clubs. You could be, I could be a, in London, Southend and Wrexham fans. I could be abroad sometimes, and I've had a Wrexham fan come up to me. It's, so that I've been very, very lucky, considering I've never played at the top level. been very lucky the teams I've played for in the fact that the fan bases have been brilliant. Really, really good. Well, look, you were, you were allowed to play. I, I have no clue how. You were allowed to play against Wrexham while you were on loan. We thought that was the biggest joke we've ever heard in our life. <laughs> um, and then you, you scored. Again, was that one onside? I can't really work out if that was on Just, or off. I hate to say this, right? I'm saying this in the wrong podcast. That was an absolute liberty. The referee, right, didn't know why he cancelled it. Toes of the Toza in his ear. Didn't know why he cancelled it. Like, so the goal was given. It said on the tannoy, right, everything. Um, we were walking back to the halfway line. All the squad after scoring, I'm thinking, there we go. Off the mark for a new club. Lovely stuff. Like, that's, that's the monkey off your back. And then all of a sudden, blows back. Captain run over. Why is it not allowed? He's gone offside. Lino looked at Lino, flagged by the side. I've gone, Lino, offside. He was like, no, nothing to do with me. And I've gone, 
So ref, what is it? And he's gone, handball. And I was like, handball? It was a one-touch finish. He was like, no, the play before. And I'm like, what, are you, what is going on here? I, I've never seen anything of it, but the league actually come out and apologised publicly afterwards. The league come out and said, listen, that goal should have stood. Like, so, and again, Ryan, like, I know we spoke about it, touched on it previously, but Ryan texted me after the game. And he was like, mate, listen, like he goes, you never want to see anyone screw his football club, but if anyone had to, like, I'm, I'm glad he was you. And I, he was like, he, he looks like you were hard done by. So that was a message that, again, like just shows the calibre of the man he is. That's a brilliant yeah. message. But it was, um, yeah, very surreal day, that. Very, very surreal day. Because um, having been with the boys three weeks earlier to then go and play against them and play against Azza and Toes, almost felt like a training session for the first 10 minutes. I was going to say, um, was that not was that was that not a bit weird? Was anyone in your ear? I can imagine Toes was enjoying enjoying going up against you. No, do you know what Toes is actually all business. So like he mm. would never, yeah, he's all business in the game. He, he he's like, he'll be like just talking, get around him, get around him. It was actually Azza a little bit like that liked it. He enjoyed it. He would be like, come on then, let's have this battle and like enjoy it a little bit. But Toes is all business, all business. And also, a lot of people on this podcast remember. Uh, infamously probably from his time with us, Callum Powell. Is he an actually all right lad? <laughs> Powell is one of a kind. He is. His heart's in the right place. He's just... Uh, he's just so high and so low. He is either the loudest person and the most bubbly kid on planet Earth and he's like, he's like a kid at Christmas, but hilarious. Or he's like down in the dumps. He's just so high and so low. But he is. He's a good lad. He's a, His heart's in the right place, Powell. And, and he... Uh, I think he's aged well. I think um, I think maybe he didn't get the best version of him when he was younger. There you go. We'll give him that. Um, let's just let's just do then some quick fire ones because you've been on for so long. We're really really grateful. Oh. Um, who was your best mate in the Wrexham dressing room? Probably Harry Lennon. Uh, me and H signed in the same week. Uh, we're both like London boys. Um, both sort of like spent a lot of time. We lived right next to each other. Um, and yeah, we we had coffee club most days. Harry. Great lad, really good like, really good lad. So yeah, me and H were uh, were very tight. Who was the best on the training pitch? Oh, Jordan Davis, good trainer, very good trainer. Um, toes, very professional, great professional. Um, Rob Layton when he trained, very good, very very good. Uh, and then Miles in the finishing drill, brilliant. Never missed a target. Who, who was the biggest moaner then? Who was the worst trainer? Oh, there's a few moments. There's a few moments. Uh, I was one. Palms was another. Uh, who else was a big moaner? Just the southerners. Just the southern boys. Yeah, all the southern boys. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, who else was a big moaner? No, I don't know if there was anyone else actually. Was, we'll yeah. go with you. We'll go with you boys. We'll go with yeah. you two. Yeah, me, I, me and Palms moaners. Yeah. So we've already established that Toes has got the worst clobber at the football club. Who, yeah. who, who was, was anyone tight on a night out? Was anyone kind of like dust come out the wallet? Oh, tight. That's a good question. Who was tight? Uh, Did you I get on many nights out? Say again? Did you get on many nights out? Not many, not that year. Um, no, we didn't get on many actually. The club had to cancel the Christmas due because there was a bit of COVID outbreak. So that was wiped out, which was unfortunate. Um, and to be honest, most of the nights out we did have were from the kitty. So all the fines. So you would rarely have to put your hand in your pocket, really, on a night out. Um, who, was getting, who was getting fined the most then? Uh, fined the most. 
Who was sloppy? There was some boys sloppy because you'd have things every day that were like jumpers in the training. But Azza was quite sloppy. Azza was, he'd forget. He'd forget his head if it weren't attached, mate. He was, uh, <laughs> he was one of them. Um, but all like innocent things, just like forgetting his jumper and stuff like that. Never late, nothing like that. Uh, but yeah, yeah. I think he was fine master actually, as was he? Was it? He was the fine master. Yeah, I'm pretty sure he was. I'm pretty sure he was. Which is wild, by the way, knowing his character. How we left him in charge of that? Um, but great lad, good guy. Who, who, who do you think was underrated during your time at the football club? Underrated. I thought when Rob Layton was fit, very underrated. Brilliant goalkeeper. Um, Harry Lennon, when he was fit, again, I know these are mates of mine as well, um, but probably Harry was an absolute machine. 98 kg, fastest lad in the team. Uh, just couldn't stay fit. Um, Maka. Maka did, a, like I said to, to earlier on in the podcast, Maka done a, a fantastic job that maybe wasn't as recognisable as Jordan scoring 20 goals or, do you know what I mean, toes throw or as his head. Like, maybe he did a role that probably doesn't get as much credit but done, yeah, really, really well. Um, and and the other one, I would say, it sounds stupid, but Moles was, he was, when I first started playing with Moles, he was better than I thought he was. I thought he would just be a goal scorer. Um, and his all-round game, his work rate, and the fact he was a constant nuisance, absolute nuisance, was, uh, was, a big, was a big thing. Team coach, were you sleep, card school, video game on the back of the bus? Trying to get as comfy as possible, sleep, sleep. Boring. I was dead boring on the coach. Dead boring. Dead boring. Yeah, if it was the day before a game, I'd get involved. If it was a day of a game, boring. Earphones in, sleeping. What was the what was the squad's go to takeaway after a game? Because recently, I, I, I caveat it, the video did get deleted, but the video went viral of the Nando's uh, in next to Tranmere uh, oh, kicking wow. off because Wrexham had spent like two hundred and eighty quid on a <laughs> on a post victory Nando's. Um, what, what, what was the what was your favourite when you get after a game? Pizza. We were always pizzas. It was always pizzas on a coach when I was there. So it was always Domino's on a coach after every game. Really? I'm sticking to Domino's now. The missus is now. She probably want a takeaway. She's like, fancy a pizza. I'm like, no, I don't. I'm sick of them. Every Saturday <laughs> night. What was your what was your your Domino's pizza? Uh, chicken with barbecue base. Barbecue nerves. Yeah, this is why you had to leave the football club. Barbecue <laughs> base. The nonsense. Barbecue base, absolute nonsense. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm gonna get. I might get killed when I people hear this. Maybe they'll agree with you, but barbecue base is a ridiculous decision. No, not having that, mate. That's a um, fantastic topic. Who, who? If you had to let someone babysit, who's the most responsible person in that squad? Do you think? Luke Young. Young, you would have my kids. If I, if I had, if I had kids, Young, you'd have my kids in bed by five. Is he just the most sensible man you've ever met? And the quietest, and the quietest, the quietest and most sensible person on planet Earth. I, I've refused to believe Luke Young has ever driven over a speed limit. He's a, well, for me, one, one thing that he, everyone always says this, he's super quiet, he's super just like, you know, leads by example. But he is actually, I think he's a great captain. And he he, he goes about trippy. his business, yeah, and looks after him. Like, is it, that's probably the wrong terminology, actually. Just goes about his business. So he goes, right, this is my job today. I'm going to train hard, I'm going to work hard, I'm going to get home. I'm going to see the fact, and that's what he does. That's how he conducts himself. And a couple of the others then, because I had Cam Green on a while back and he was very tight with Dan Jarvis and Tyler French. Um, I'm really fascinated by what you thought of Max Kluwerth because he was a young lad in, in, coming through at a time when we wanted to see academy 
products. What did you make of him? Max was exceptional. Max was brilliant. He The biggest compliment I could give Max is he come into the team as a 19-year-old, a proper team, a proper team of men, and he didn't look at our place once. He just played every game. Bang. Oh, yeah, Max was good again. Oh, yeah, Max was good again. Played at Wembley like it was nothing. Yeah, Max was brilliant today. And the biggest compliment I can give him is he never, ever looked at our place. If he come in for a game, if he come in for 10 games, if he come in for 20 games, he just went about his business. And to show that sort of maturity at 19 is very rare, very rare. Right, lastly, before we talk about what, you, what you're doing now, very quickly, what's your favourite Wrexham memory? What's your, if someone says, talk me through your time at Wrexham and they don't make you stay on for an hour and 20 minutes, whatever it is, what would you say is your favourite memory? For me, playing at Wembley, just because of everything that happened prior, everything that happened for me personally, the tough time I'd had to get back and achieve one of my goals I set myself as a little boy um, playing at Wembley. To achieve that with the football club, that is that was massive for me. That was such a big thing in my career that I will always look back on and be like, that was incredible. Um, so that was one. That was that was probably my biggest one, to be honest. I, I can't really top Wembley. Right, and let's just so you're at Yeovil now. Mm-hmm. You we had a, we had a chat about you you busy off the pitch as well, sorting out a house and and all that sort of stuff. So you're busy. You're very yeah. very busy. Yeah. What what does the future hold for you? Because I have to say, I'm not trying to make you sound too old here, but football isn't going to go on forever. Playing go, on, football. go on, you can say it if you need me. You, you, you're getting older. <laughs> playing football is not going to last forever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What, what, is, what does the future for Jake Hyde hold, do you think? Um, do you know what? I'm just sort of trying to find my way with that. Now, I've, I've got a couple of bits going on. I've, um, I've got a little property portfolio that I'm building. And as I said to you, I'm, I'm just doing a big renovation at the minute. And it's something that I would maybe like to look at when football does finish. Um, I've been into my fitness, always, always into my fitness. So previously, uh, six or seven years ago, I used to run my own personal training business on the side. Um, so what I would love to do is find a little gym studio that maybe I can make my own. So uh, own my own space, own my own gym or have a gym studio, uh, run my clients out of there, maybe work with athletes in particular. Uh, I would love that uh, because I feel like I've got like wisdom I can I can sort of help younger boys coming through maybe the things that I would have done differently or maybe like warning them on things that they might come up against that I wish someone had told me when I was breaking through or because um, a lot a lot of football which people don't realise you will have so many more downs and you will have ups but those ups those, those ups you get those pros outweigh it all they're brilliant and that's why we all play the game but the little downs you get where you get injuries, you get drops, you get, they, they all accumulate and you have so many of them. It's just about how you bounce back. And that's, and that's what I've learned. It's just about how you bounce back from, from, the, from the disappointments. And those, as I say, those pros you get, the positives of promotion, of uh, a cup run, of getting a move to a new club, of scoring a last minute winner, all those, all those they don't come around as much. They're, they're very far and a few between. But those moments are so special that they make everything else worthwhile. So sometimes, like, I think the mentality side of it is as, as big as the physical side. So what I would love to do is work with athletes, work at a football club, uh, have my own space and, and, and do the fitness and strength and conditioning and, and maybe a bit of coaching that way. That's what I would really love to do. So, yeah, the sort of plans are in motion. The ideas are rolling with that. Um, so if I can do something between property and something between 
the, the stripping edition in and, and working with other athletes. That's what I would love. I think that would be good. Love it, mate. So we're not going to see Jake had the manager is what you're saying. We're not going to see that anytime soon. Not for me. I don't think, listen, things might change, but not for me. I've never really been that way inclined and I've never really sort of wanted to do it. Never done my coaching badges. Um, it's just never really appealed to me. Looks stressful. Looks stressful, mate. It does. Oh, a bit more you've got, of an you've easier got, lifestyle. You've got a thick head of hair like me, so I think we would both lose it basically. I'd be, I'd, I reckon I'd be a cracking kit man though. Yeah, I reckon I've, I've got, I've, I've got the gift of the gap. I'd be on the wine every night. Fact. Well, mate, look, we really appreciate you coming on. All the best with Yove. I mean, how's things? Very, very short. Looking good for the season. You're feeling good. Yeah, 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 absolutely. That's the big part of coming down here. It's obviously a much smaller project, but it's it's another project of similar to the Wrexham thing, they're desperately get promoted and they want to keep going and they're building, they've got a new ownership taken over and obviously all the foundations are there. So yeah, just thought it was like a similar thing to that. And um, and yeah, I'll, uh, I'll just I'll just try and keep myself as fit as I can and, and, and keep chipping away, yeah. Thank you very much for joining us today on Rob Ryan Red. We really hope you enjoyed that interview. Let us know what you made of it on social media. Once again, Rob Ryan Red on all the socials, robryanred at gmail.com. Thank you very much to Red 10 People Development for sponsoring the podcast. Shout out again to Wrexham-based band Hypnotic. Their new track, Smolder, is out now. Take care, and we'll see you again next time. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with three for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. Beyond the pitch, beyond the results, we're here to connect fans, getting them to embrace the highs and lows of supporting your club because we're not just fans, we're a team. With two in three football fans having struggled with their mental health, we understand that life off the pitch can present its own challenges. That's why we're committed to ensuring you have the tools to stay connected with your friends and fellow supporters. Take a moment to connect with your mates. A simple text or an open conversation can make a world of difference. And if they don't respond right away, don't hesitate to follow up. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. It's the 90th minute. All your mates are around. You've got your McNugget share boxes ready to go. Your mates already got booked for double dipping and you steal the last nugget, snatching all three points. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. You in? At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.